Volume Two, Chapter One, of Bungay Castle by Elizabeth Bonhote. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Though every means had been made use of to render the ball given at the castle pleasant and agreeable to all the party, they did not succeed so well as we could wish. There were several of the company, as it is to this day found but too customary on all such important and interesting occasions, distressed, mortified, and discontented, who returned to their habitations with more cares than they had carried out, more pangs than they well knew how to bear, or than the pleasure, if unalloyed, could have repaid. One or two young ladies had actually fainted at seeing others better dressed and more noticed than themselves. Another was wretched and out of humour at observing the Adonis, for whom she had long cherished the most romantic affection, pay his whole attention to the beautiful Edeliza, who was rendered wild by the gaiety, novelty, and splendour of the scene, while her little head was nearly turned by the fine things said to her and the admiration she excited. Edwin secretly repined that, as soon as the evening closed, madeline would be again for an age in the calculation of a lover's calendar secluded from his sight and compelled to count her beads in the cheerless and solitary cell of a nunnery from which he knew not whether it would be in the power of art or stratagem to deliver her and how dreadful would be the consequences both to himself and the woman he loved far better than himself should the project which he had long cherished in his enterprising and enamoured heart be discovered these distressing thoughts threw a cloud of despondency over every surrounding scene and in some degree deprived him of that vivacity which had endured him to his friends and rendered his society both pleasant and entertaining while the cause of this unaccountable revolution was suspected by few de willows had never before felt himself so forcibly struck with the charms of the fond and artless edeliza which blazed upon him with unusual lustre from the style and manner in which she had adorned and heightened her modest beauties by the artillery of a dress admirably chosen to captivate and so well did she succeed aided by the little blind god under whose banners she had ventured to emit that a change took place in the heart of her favourite against whom alone her designs were levelled as sudden as it was to himself surprising Madeline was almost forgotten, and as little regarded as his grandmother would have been. Every thought, every wish now rested with Edeliza, the little girl whom he had so long considered and treated as a mere playful child. He even felt himself angry with every gentleman who paid her any attention, or appeared as well pleased with her as himself, and his bosom actually throbbed with jealous indignation while he observed her animated look and sparkling eye at the various compliments addressed to her but when she bestowed her smiles on another it was agony those enchanting smiles those engaging looks till this ill-fated evening had been wholly engrossed by himself not till he knew the value of what he might lose did he think he had anything to fear the delusion was ended and he felt himself engaged in a new passion at the moment he was disengaged from an old one which having never been cherished by hope was the more easily subdued he observed for love though said to be blind is at times amazingly clear-sighted that de clavering the insensible the fastidious de clavering 
appeared like himself particularly attentive to Edeliza, condescended to say some civil things, hovered as near to her as possible, and followed her with an approving eye as she gracefully exhibited her light and elegant figure in the dance, which in his opinion by no means proved him so indifferent to her charms as he had pretended to be in some of their unreserved and confidential conversations. He had declared to de Huntingfield, as she glided past them, that she had a mine of harmony in her head, a troop of cupids lying in ambush round her eyes and mouth, and an army of virtues encamped for life within her bosom. De Willows heard him, and was convinced De Clavering had designs against his peace, and was as much in love as himself. The same charms which had so much influence on him might have made a captive of his friend. Thus, seriously in love, thus tortured by the sudden impulse of jealousy, De Willows sullenly cursed the folly of giving balls, execrated the misery of being obliged to mix with a crowd, and the unpardonable levity of permitting young women of delicacy and fashion to exhibit their beautiful persons in fine attitudes in the dance to amuse a parcel of unmeaning and designing fools, and wound those who loved them, while such robust amusements were only fit for Indian girls or hottentots. He almost determined never to go to another ball, and to persuade Edeliza to form the same resolution. Thus, with doubts, fears, and jealousies, was marked the beginning of a passion in the mind of De Willows, which ended but with life, and which every succeeding day, month, and year served to strengthen and confirm. The tragical tale of two lovers, who had been present at the ball, and who seemed the happiest of the party, appeared to make a deep impression on all who heard it, and had so much influence on de willows that he determined no part of his conduct should ever give a moment's pain to the susceptible heart of edeliza if he should prove so fortunate as to be entrusted with the precious deposit and obtain the consent of sir philip and lady de morney to bless him with the hand of their lovely daughter the tale we have alluded to though melancholy being real fact we hope it will not be unacceptable to our readers Mr. and Mrs. Blandeville were the respectable parents of a numerous family, whom they educated from the produce of a well-established and profitable business. They had several daughters. The eldest, who was both lively and handsome, was unfortunately admired by a young gentleman of the name of Narford. The attachment had been cherished by both parties from the time they went to school, and so marked were the attentions which, even at that early age, they had shown to each other, that it had often excited the jokes and ridicule of their young companions, who were in the habit of frequently addressing the timid and blushing Lucy by the name of Mrs. Norford. Her lover had the irreparable misfortune to lose both parents before any plan had been formed for his future establishment. He was likewise, unhappily for his interest, left to the care of inexperienced and careless guardians, who permitted him, as his fortune was genteel, to follow the bent of his own inclinations. His disposition being lively in the extreme, led him into innumerable eccentricities, and his juvenile indiscretions wasted a part of that fortune which should have been kept for his maturer age. When his clerkship was just expired, for he was articled to an attorney, he made application to the parents of Lucy for leave to address their daughter. Mr. Blandeville was no stranger to some part of the vices and follies of which he had been guilty, but, 
as he likewise knew that enough of his fortune still remained to secure his daughter as comfortable an establishment as she had any right to expect he promised if his future conduct was irreproachable that when he was fixed in life and able to provide for a family he would give him the hand of his daughter and from that period he had permission to visit lucy as a lover and was received at mr blandeville's house as one of the family lovers it is too well known will say and promise anything this observation was unhappily verified in the giddy and erring narford who though he sincerely loved the daughter of mr blandeville and could not be ignorant that on his part he was equally beloved very soon broke his word and ran into some glaring excesses which could not be long concealed from those whom it most materially concerned the gentle lucy often ventured to reproach her lover but his repentance and promises of amendment very soon procured his forgiveness not so easily was the father to be softened after repeatedly hearing of his intemperance and consequent riots he forbade him his house and prohibited his daughter from holding any further intercourse with one so unworthy of her regard who had given such frequent proofs of his libertine disposition had already wasted part of his property and was in a way to squander the whole unfortunately the prudent prohibition of the father was disregarded by the daughter whose attachment to the unthinking narford neither his vices nor follies had been able to conquer she lamented his failings but she could not subdue that attachment which had from so early a period of her life been implanted in her heart from him only she had heard the tale of love and he alone had obtained any interest in her affections love had bound her in his silken fetters and she had not power to shake them off many stolen interviews did the proscribed narford obtain with his believing and inexperienced mistress by means of that all-prevailing traitor gold whose influence few of the needy children of dependence can long withstand nor could all the reproaches of a duteous and uncorrupted heart prevent lucy from listening to the beguiling flatterer at the time they met at the castle they had not been able to see each other for some weeks and the pleasure was as great as it was unexpected their present situation was past sorrows were forgotten in their mutual joy and the young lady easily prevailed upon to accept the hand of her lover for the evening as she hoped it was the hand destined to guide her through life too happy in enjoying the society for which she languished to recollect the causes which had prevented their more frequent intercourse her spirits exhilarated by the gay and cheerful party and the enlivening sounds of music she listened to his vows with believing tenderness and in a fond conceding moment unreluctantly agreed to his proposal of a private marriage the day was fixed and the hour for escape appointed the plan once determined they indulged themselves in all that innocent fondness the prospect of being speedily united seemed to claim and authorize but their happiness was as unstable and visionary as their plan some one that was present either actuated by friendship to the parents or envious at seeing the exulting transports which sparked in the eyes of the lovers and excited a suspicion of their design obtained sufficient intelligence from some broken sentences conveyed in rather loud whispers from the lips of narford who was too much intoxicated with his unexpected success to be guarded by prudence as to betray their intention the next day a letter was sent to mr blandeville 
to inform him of the plan that he might take such steps as would prevent the threatening mischief in consequence of this unpleasing intelligence the young lady was so strictly confined and closely watched that it was impossible she could either receive or send any letters without being discovered and mr blandeville was too much enraged at finding the disobedient trick his daughter would have played him to relax one moment in his rigour or care to prevent her eloping narford in the meantime not able either to see lucy or convey any letter or message to her became madly desperate and ran into innumerable excesses which in the opinion of the prudent and thinking part of the world justified the conduct of the lady's father who commanded her not to see him nor attempt to leave her own apartment till she could prevail upon herself to give him a solemn promise never again to hold intercourse by word or letter with that base designing and vile scoundrel narford the mother and sisters were equally offended with the unfortunate lover whose conduct previous to the time he had been forbidden the house of mr blandeville had in too many respects been highly blamable but as is frequently the case what in his behaviour was worthy of praise had been concealed while every deviation from prudence and rectitude was basely and maliciously exaggerated narford not having the happy art of concealing his frailties or making himself friends by that bewitching softness of manners which in our more polished days will recommend the most libertine characters and procure them a favourable and cordial reception in polite and even virtuous circles after trying by every art and stratagem to bribe or elude the vigilance of lucy's attendants and making many attempts to soften the displeasure of her parents narford in a fit of despair and intoxication obtained by force an entrance into the house and falling on his knees in the most humiliating manner and most intelligible language he could command begged they would permit him to see and converse one hour with his beloved lucy who he had heard was ill and confined to her bed though mr blandeville fortunately was not at home his request was peremptorily denied but mrs blandeville somewhat softened by his agony which in spite of her anger she could not help commiserating promised that as soon as her daughter was in a state of convalescence he should be indulged with seeing her in the presence of herself and one of her daughter at the same time she could not help gently reproaching him for the inconsistency and unpardonable levity of his conduct which not only compelled mr blandeville to adopt these severe measures but had involved her whole family in distress as well as the unfortunate girl he pretended to love and had attempted to draw aside from the paths of duty with great difficulty he was prevailed upon to leave the house but not before the sound of his voice had caught the ear of the unhappy lucy she raised herself in the bed and insisted on being informed what had occurred to bring poor narford and why she had not seen him it was now too late she added to run away the danger of that was over therefore surely she might be allowed to speak peace to his mind and once more see him whom she had so long and so fondly loved before the hand of death should close her eyes for ever and in that sad moment shut out every bright ray of hope from his earthly prospects on being made acquainted with what had passed and told the manner in which her lover forced his way into the house she burst into tears and exclaimed she should never see him more in this world but he will not survive me long she continued i know he cannot live in peace when i am gone therefore we shall soon meet in a better and i hope a happier world 
these conflicts brought on a return of fever which a frame so emaciated and weak as hers could not long sustain it was succeeded by a delirium the grief she had long cherished had preyed upon a constitution always delicate with so much violence as to render her strength unequal to the contest in a few days her life was pronounced in the utmost danger and hope was almost precluded no sooner was this sentence made known than it was recommended to mr blandeville to send for the lover of his daughter at length he yielded somewhat reluctantly to the proposal narford came and was admitted into the darkened apartment of the dying lucy who lay totally insensible of what passed around her he heard her call upon his name yet could not prevail upon her either to look at or speak to him her eyes glazed and obscured by the shades of death and robbed of their former lustre were no longer able to distinguish the beloved object for whom they had shed so many tears but fixed on vacancy seemed still bent in search of something they wished to behold her lips moved and she appeared as if holding a conversation with some one her disordered imagination fancied near her the unhappy young man was so much shocked that it was with the utmost difficulty he could confine his agonizing feelings from the breaking forth into loud lamentations somewhat recovering from the first stroke of seeing the ruins which grief had made on her with whom he had rested all his hopes in whom were centred all his wishes he knelt by her bedside and tenderly clasping between his own the burning hand of his almost dying mistress he softly begged she would once more speak to her distracted narford the voice seemed to be understood she suddenly turned her face towards him and feebly pressing his hand in broken and hurried sentences said something to him only the words dear narford we must part and part for ever were understood and after making a feeble effort to draw him closer to her side as if afraid he should leave her she was seized with convulsions which obliged the terrified lover to quit the room he rushed out of the house in a state little less alarming than that in which he had left the fair cause of his distress the whole night he wandered before the habitation of the dying lucy for that she was dying the horrid scene he had witnessed the countenances of those around her and his own feelings too well informed him during the long and gloomy night in which he remained exposed to and unsheltered from the wind and storm he frequently stopped to listen at the door all within was silent and cheerless as the grave and in every sound that reached his ear from without he imagined he could distinguish groans and sighs every object he could see brought to his tortured imagination the distressing the convulsed figure of the once animated and lovely lucy whose distorted features and painful struggles were ever before his mental sight there to remain fixed as long as his existence should endure for was it possible he could ever forget or wish to lose the remembrance of that persecuted and innocent sufferer who died for the unworthy and unfortunate narford at length the day broke the sun arose with its usual splendour but appeared to him as dark as erebus all nature wore one universal gloom and had all nature been at that moment annihilated as were his hopes the change had been scarcely perceived for lucy 
who gave to life its brightest tints and to all things animate or inanimate grace beauty and value was seen no more no longer the soft tones of her voice vibrated on his ear to lull his soul to peace or if seen she had lost all recollection of the poor forlorn wanderer who now felt tenfold every pang she suffered late in the morning narford saw a female servant slowly open the door he ran or rather flew to make his trembling inquiries she was in tears and totally unable to tell him that it was over that the loveliest of women the favorite child of nature was no longer the victim of pain and sorrow and that her freed spirit now soared beyond the reach of persecution the mortal having put on immortality but her emphatical silence unfolded the sad tale a freezing chillness ran thrilling to his heart and with a groan of despair he sunk upon his parent earth in that happy state of insensibility he was conveyed to his lodgings by some people who were passing by where we will for the present leave him to the care of his sympathizing friends this unfortunate young man notwithstanding his unguarded conduct and numerous eccentricities was beloved by many for his generous disposition cheerfulness and unceasing good-humour in the house of mr and mrs blandeville all was distraction despair and self-reproach the illness and subsequent death of a beloved and amiable child laid heavy at their hearts and overwhelmed them like the sudden bursting of a torrent for though prudence forbade them to unite their daughter to a man whose conduct threatened her with many sorrows at the moment they wished to put an end to so unpromising an union they had no idea that any fatal consequences would have attended the separation and they too late regretted not having granted narford's request of being permitted to see their daughter at a more early stage of her illness mr blandeville drooped under his own painful reflections his wife felt more than she either could or wished to express and the younger part of the family were for a time inconsolable the tale spread rapidly abroad and in all its various shapes excited the compassion of those who heard it lucy had been as generally beloved as admired and narford who had once appeared deserving of contempt was now the object of pity such are the rapid changes which take place in the human mind mrs blandeville unknown to the rest of the family sent several times to make inquiries after the unhappy narford the accounts she received were as various as the melancholy changes which succeeded each other he was sometimes in a state of actual distraction at others in a sad and silent despondency the most determined and alarming refusing to take his food or to hold conversation with any one at length the day for the internment of lucy arrived the procession sad and slow was followed by almost every inhabitant of the town and adjoining villages a solemn dirge was sung as they went along and a number of young maidens joined in the chorus flowers were strewn in and around the grave as emblematical of the charming flower that like themselves was untimely cut down and doomed like them to wither and to die the service began the coffin was carefully let down into the grave and just as the earth was thrown upon it and the priest pronounced that awful and humiliating sentence 
earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, a figure with disheveled hair and a face pale as that of the victim just deposited in her last sad resting-place, rushed past them all, and quick as lightning, before any one could suspect or think of preventing his design, threw himself with the utmost violence into the grave, and clinging with agonizing frenzy to the coffin, cried out, I have found her now, and no one shall ever again tear her from me, for she was mine, mine by her own consent. Proceed, added he, in a shrill and distracted tone, for the surprise and confusion that this scene occasioned had prevented the service going on. Be quick, and hide me in the friendly earth. I come to sleep with Lucy. This is our bridal bed. Why do you hesitate? Here I shall find rest for ever. This is my home, and here shall be my heaven. The priest endeavored to persuade him to quit the grave, and let the ceremony be concluded, telling him time and patience would, he hoped, reconcile him to the will of heaven, and convince him that all things were ordered for the best and the wisest purposes. Avant, deceiver, cried the enraged maniac. I tell you that Lucy was unfairly robbed of life, stolen from my arms and forced into this place, where I will watch by her and protect her from farther violence. Therefore say no more, lest my daring hand should attempt to pluck the sun from its orbit, or call upon the stars to fall upon your head and mine, for permitting a star more brilliant than themselves to fall. Go on, I say, bury me deep and sure. I wish to become a worm, that I may crawl to the side of Lucy. She will own her poor distracted Narford, even in that most loathsome and degraded form. It is impossible to describe the scene that followed. Many attempts were made before the poor young man could be dragged from the grave of his lamented mistress. At length he was forcibly taken out, guarded, and carried home by some of the weeping spectators. It was many months before any hopes of his recovery could be cherished. His reason was still more endangered, and from that period to the end of his unfortunate life he was deranged at times and by his conduct appeared as much a lunatic in his intervals of reason. He very soon squandered all that remained of his fortune, and became a wanderer upon the earth, never having a settled home, and seldom going into a bed. He was frequently absent so long that his friends concluded he was no more. He would then return to those scenes which never failed to bring on a renewal of his unfortunate malady, and would lay whole nights by the side of Lucy's grave, talking to her with the same ardor and enthusiastic affection as if she had been living. At length Mr. Blandeville, whom he would, as frequently as he saw him in his fits of insanity, attack with the most pointed and virulent abuse, took compassion on his sufferings, and settled a sum of money upon him to be paid quarterly, sufficiently competent, to procure him the necessaries and many of the comforts of life, placing him in a family who had been long attached to him, and who continued to take the utmost care of him to the end of his wretched existence, and by every tender attention softened as much as it was in human power those sorrows which could only terminate in death. End of chapter 1 Recording by Patty Cunningham